Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. Good morning, listeners, and thank you so much for joining me for this very special episode. I'm a Wurundjeri country, as usual, and would like to pay my respects to the original landowners and First Nations elders past, present and emerging. I'm absolutely stoked to have my guest today, who I was able to have an exclusive interview with in line with the release of SBS series Latecomers, which she stars in. Hannah Diveny. If you follow me on social media, you'll probably have noticed that I have shared a lot of Hannah's posts. I've been a big fan of Hannah for some time. She's on Instagram as Hannah the Wildflower um, and she's a very prolific Twitter tweeter. And she became quite popular this year when she called out a number of musical artists for using a word that we absolutely abhor an ableist slur that has been used in the past to describe uh, people with cerebral palsy, uh, which Hannah herself has. Firstly, Lizzo used it in a song. It was released and Hannah called out Lizzo over Twitter, didn't think much of it, and suddenly it became viral, leading Lizzo to actually remove the slur from her song. And Lizzo showed exactly what a good ally does, acknowledges the mistake they've made and corrects it, apologizing. So we still love Lizzo. Then Beyonce did the same thing uh, around a week later when she released her new album using the same slur. Again, Hannah used her platform to call out Beyonce and ask her to remove the slur which she also did with her team posting a very brief press release that they had removed the slur. Less uh, humility as Lizzo was given, but she's Beyonce. And then finally, Eminem did the same thing, uh, and we're yet to hear back from Eminem. As a result, Hannah has gained worldwide fame and notoriety. So it was such an honor to have her on the podcast um, to promote her new show. Um, Some other things about Hannah, she is a writer. She's also a disability and women's rights advocate based in Sydney. She's the editor-in-chief at Missing Perspectives, which is a publication platform dedicated to addressing the marginalisation of women in news, media and democracy. Uh, You can subscribe. They're also on Instagram and Twitter. And she's also written for many, many publications, including the ABC, Mamma Mia. She's appeared on The Project, Today Extra, ABC's The Drum. And in 2021, she was a finalist for both the Australian Women's Weekly Women of the Future Awards and the 2022 Young Australian of the Year Awards. And most recently, she was a winner of the Marie Claire Women of the Year Awards, sharing the honour of being the voice of now with Teela Reid. So she's a busy woman. A lot of her early advocacy work came from campaigning to have Disney create the first disabled princess, which she's been working on for years. I have shared the campaign many times on social media and was so thrilled to hear Hannah speak on one of my favorite podcasts, Terrible Thanks for Asking, where she talks to Nora, the host of the podcast, 
about her journey with cerebral palsy, her swifty fandom, her desire to become a writer and her continual efforts to campaign for disability representation in media and particularly in children's films. Hannah's an example of how much work is involved in advocacy and how every part of your life can be dedicated to it. And it's amazing and empowering and inspiring to see how far she has come. It's of course not without the haters and I did see quite a few very horrible tweets directed her way when Hannah was uh, tweeting about Beyonce, Lizzo and Eminem. It's hard for us to see bullying being directed the way of someone who is just trying to get some equity and some equality in the world. And the way she handles it is pretty amazing, which I'll let her explain when we get to the interview. But I think one of the most exciting things that has come so far from her advocacy is the show Latecomers, which is premiering on the 3rd of December on SBS. It is a series which has been written and directed by creators with cerebral palsy, Angus Thompson and Emma Myers. Angus Thompson also stars in it and Hannah acts alongside him as well. I managed to sneak a preview of the show thanks to asserting myself as kind of a media person in order to gain access. Thanks, SBS. And I have to say, I really enjoyed watching it. Latecomers is an incredible show on so many levels. It breaks so many boundaries in many different ways. It's not just a story about disability. It's a love story that stands alone of itself, even if the characters were able-bodied. It doesn't use any of the tropes that we often see in films where disabled characters are presented, but it is also truthful and at sometimes brutally honest. The main character, Frank, is actually kind of an arsehole for most of the show with some really misogynistic friends who don't help, in fact, uh, in some ways encourage his terrible choices. Hannah, on the other hand, is smart and intellectual with a tendency to get in her own head quite a bit. So they're very real characters. They're not tropes. They're not characteristic. Uh, They're fully fleshed. It's one of those shows that you can tell this was made by someone who knows and gets it. The trope of disabled people being sexless is explored explicitly throughout the show, a trope that is still very common today. And not only is this stereotype completely debunked, it's fucking sexy. (laughs) It's a fucking sexy show. Hannah Diveny and Angus Thompson both separately are proudly in the first Australian sex scenes featuring disabled actors ever screened on TV. It also portrays sex work in such an awesome, positive way. And it's just so sex positive throughout with a really clear message that the key to feeling quote unquote fuckable is to embrace your own sexiness. It's not about what another person brings. It's about what you want for yourself. I really love that message. It's a message that's important to everyone, including myself. But it's also a hugely helpful message to disabled people who haven't seen themselves in film and TV for so long, let alone see themselves with full autonomy and an actually rich storyline. There's some really great quotes in it, and I think my favourite one at the moment is, why does nobody tell you about the squelching? That will stay with me for a while. 
So without further ado, I'd like to cut to our wonderful interview with Hannah, thanks to SBS, and just remind you to get ready on the 3rd of December, which I believe is a Saturday night at 8.30pm on SBS. Do what we barely do these days and actually put on live TV, chuck on SBS and watch Latecomers. If this isn't just too bizarre for you and not something you remember doing, then watch it on SBS On Demand, of course. But either way, and either method that you you like to watch your series, watch this show. I guarantee you will enjoy it. There's so much in it and it's fantastic. And now to the interview. To start with, thank you so much for coming on Psychosinematic Podcast. I appreciate thank you for having me. It so much, uh, and congratulations on latecomers, uh, and also Thanks. being Marie Marie Claire's or Marie Claire's Voice of Now Woman of the Year 2022. That was very surreal, and I'm so honoured that I get to share that particular special thing with Taylor Reid, who, if your listeners don't know, is an incredible Indigenous. I, I, advocate a bad a badass lawyer and just a general brilliant human who you should all go follow and support um she's a huge proponent of the uluru statement of the heart she actually recited it from memory at the awards um which was not intimidating at all to then follow up her speech with mine um but yeah it's been a big banner couple of weeks Amazing. Yeah. It's, it feels like it's all happening at once for you, which is pretty amazing. Tell tell me a little bit about Latecomers and how you got involved and you know, how the opportunity came up. Okay. So Latecomers is a drama comedy with a fair dash of like black humor and rom-com, rom-com elements um, that basically tells the stories of two strangers with cerebral palsy who happen to meet and, and are sort of thrown into each other's orbit when their carers hook up with each other at a bar. From there, hilarity and chaos ensues. And um, it's a really groundbreaking piece of television because it represents disability in a way we haven't seen before. Um, And I'm really honored to be in one of the lead roles because to be honest, I'm not an actor. Like the way I came into Latecomers is completely by happy accident. It's because I got an email, as I often do, from someone I didn't know, Liam Hayen, who was a producer on the show. He basically said, look, we have this great show, Latecomers, SBS is making it. It's being created by people with cerebral palsy, um, Angus Thompson and and Emma Myers, um, as well as the fabulously funny able-bodied comedian Nina Oyama. It's going to be about people with cerebral palsy. It's going to push the boundaries. We just need some people to come in and read so that Angus, Emma and Nina can hear what's working in the script and what isn't. So it was kind of just a writing workshop situation. But we wanted to make sure that like anyone who's given feedback on this obviously has lived experience and can sort of help us shape this a little bit. Like, would you be interested? And for me, I grew up a drama kid. I could generally be found on a stage if there was one to be to be found. And I just thought, hell yeah, I'm, I'm going to have a go at this. Because in my head, it seemed very obvious and very simple that like eventually when the show came out, I would be sitting on my couch with my family watching it going, 
how cool is that that I got to play Sarah for for a day? Like, the actress who's doing this is absolutely killing it. I had no idea that actress was going to be me. That was not the plan. Um, <laughs> but after I read the scripts and, like, did the workshop, um, our incredible director, Madeline Gottlieb, and our director of casting, um, Danny Long, both came up to me and said, so you're auditioning for the show? <laughs> and they said it just like that. I didn't phrase it as a question. Let me give you it a was, an option. Was, uh, and I was like, um, I am? And they were like, yeah, yeah, you, you absolutely are. Um, because act. And I was like, whoa, I can what now? <laughs> you never um, thought that you could act before then? Not not really. Like like I said, I did drama, but I and had briefly considered a, as a kid the idea of acting, but it became very obvious to me that that wasn't really the way things were going to go because there were no disabled actors out there. I'd have no roles. I'd be an actor who didn't act. So, yeah, that, that dream or that, I guess, extension of my true dream of just cr creating as much as I can quickly got shelved. So it's very poetic and full circle for me to be able to be in this role for my younger self because she wouldn't have believed it. Um, but, yeah, all throughout the audition process, I was really sure that they weren't going to pick me because I have no training. I didn't know what I was doing. I was just making it up as I went along. And then I got the email to be like, we would like to offer you the part. And I was like, well, hell, what do I do now? <laughs> and what then happened? What was it like to actually perform on the show? Um, well, I was really lucky that the cast and crew, and I mean this like from the top to the bottom, Everyone who worked on Lightcomers was incredible and very supportive and very aware that this was my first time acting and they did an incredible job in creating a safe, fun, like relaxed environment because obviously like you haven't seen the show yet, but I can tell you that there were a lot of incredibly challenging things to film, both for me and for some other actors. So it wasn't necessarily relaxing in terms of the material. Like we, we don't do things by halves on this show. Mm. Um, and I think... I loved being on set. I, I, I loved learning from people. I, I, I loved the fact that I was finally in an environment where people didn't look at me like I had two heads when I mentioned all of the stuff I had going on or mm. like where I mentioned all of my creative ambitions because they had their own or yeah. like we'd spend time in between takes like talking about the next thing they were creating or the thing they were writing or the movies they'd worked on before or like what whatever it might be. So that was really a very fulfilling and stimulating environment and I'm so lucky that like now that I have entry into that world I will always have entry into that world. That's fantastic and like you say it's not something that everyone gets to access who have a disability so no, that's it, wonderful it, it that that's happening. It feels like a very special club and it feels it's an incredible privilege for me to be the one um, who brings this kind of groundbreaking storyline and show to members of the disabled community because I think and I hope that it's going to mean as much to them as it did to me. Mm, definitely. Would you, do you see yourself doing more acting in the future now? I would love to. I have definitely been bitten by the acting bug. And now that I know like the process of creating a show and like putting things together and how much fun it is to be on set and like actually execute a scene. Yeah, this is definitely a string in my bow that I will be using as much as I can. Um, it would also be like my great love to kind of be behind the scenes creating stuff as well. Like I, like I don't necessarily have to always be the one in front of the camera, but I think now that I have entry to this world and all of these creative, incredible people, they won't, they won't get rid of me anytime soon. I'll be like a barnacle just <laughs> into acting, directing, writing, writing, all of that kind of stuff. 
And in terms of the of latecomers, were you were you involved in the creation of the character, or um, were you given a, a lot of involvement? Um, so because of the lived experience of the writers, Angus and Emma, Frank and Sarah as as the two lead characters were fairly mapped out as it was, and actually in quite a coincidental sort of freakish turn of events, there was a lot of similarities between Sarah's insecurities as a character and my own as a young disabled woman, so much so that I did actually briefly hesitate for a second before moving forward because I didn't know if I would be able to handle Mm. playing that out for the Australian public to see. I'm so glad I did because the idea of the role not being mine or, or the idea that I would then sit on sit at home and be like, that should have been me, it would have driven me mad. But yeah, in terms of like Sarah's personal style and that, and that sort of thing, there were there were things I got, to sh- I, I got to shape or there were things that I got to say that like, I can't actually do that because obviously people with cerebral palsy know two people are the same. So there were some adjustments in terms of what Sarah could do or like in terms of the, some of the more intimate scenes, I was really passionate that like we didn't shy away from that or we didn't just like insinuate what, what was going on. We actually showed it and we made a conscious decision to to do lots of different things that sort of hyper focused on Mm -hmm. on disability in a a positive way and I guess disability representation on screen is something you've always been super passionate about because I've followed your campaign for a disabled Disney princess um yes this is this is a little more uh x-rated than the Disney princess (laughs) but it all comes from the same desire to see disabled representation and what, what would you say we need to see in disabled depictions and how does latecomers sort of meet that need, do you think? Well, look, I think just the depiction of disability and sex together is pretty, will be pretty mind-blowing and sometimes hard to wrap your head around for people because those are not two concepts we see married together like ever um, and it's still very taboo. Like we don't like thinking about the fact that disabled people actually have, you know, desires and needs and the same wants, hopes and dreams for themselves as the able-bodied community. And that's because the two narratives we've kind of been fed or like a lot of the narratives are either based on like triumph and overcoming in in, te- in terms of like Paralympic glory. Or inspiration or, porn. Yeah, or inspiration porn or tragedy or my life is over because I'm a disabled person. I must now sit and look out at the world through a window and not actually be part of it. Or mm-hmm. like my life is over now because I'm disabled because I got behind the wheel and I, I was drunk or I mm. was speeding. Like Road safety ads were basically my, uh, well, aside from the Paralympics, which I only saw every four years and they definitely didn't have the coverage they do now. No, road safety were it in terms of internalized narratives that I had about disability. Totally. Yeah. And I love that there's more of these shows happening more and more. And one that we covered on the podcast was special with, yes. uh, I've forgotten his name, Ryan. And Peter Hook um, spoke to me about it. And it was a really good also lesson that just one person's story with a disability is just one person's story with a disability. Yeah. We're, um, we're not, we're not a monolith. We're not a no. hive mind. We won't, as I said earlier, like no two people's experiences of cerebral palsy specifically are the same and just because one story has been told doesn't mean that's a box tick like imagine if if we said to all the white straight cisgender able-bodied men out there that oh well your story's already been told over there so that would never happen (laughs) right exactly 
But so why should it happen for people in marginalized communities? Why shouldn't we have the nuance of different stories instead of just being a box to tick? Definitely. And it sounds like uh, even Angus and Amber really wanted to make sure that even though they've got their lived their own lived experiences to creators, they wanted to get feedback from other people from the disability or cerebral palsy community like yourself to make yeah, sure absolutely. that it was a really good portrayal, which is really important too. Well, I think I think as well, as difficult as this is to say, I think they knew that like the chances or the fact that SBS had given them a shot to make this show was rare and that if they wanted disabled representation to continue to be on the agenda, they needed to nail it. Yeah. Which is, an Which is disappointing, really. Yeah, it's an awful lot of pressure to put on yep. a show. It's creators, it's cast. But, but everybody, I think, on that show felt like we need to make sure we get this right and we blow people out of the water, like that this is the best version of this show it can possibly be because otherwise there will be people who decide that they've already tried that and our chance is taken away. Which is really, I guess, sad that that's kind of the world we live in at the moment. But Yeah, absolutely. True. What are some of the absolutely. messages that you hope people will gain from the show when they watch it? Um, I hope people will gain that disabled people are not just sad stories, that disabled people are full, complex human beings and that we deserve the same dreams, ho- hopes, wants, needs, desires, as everyone else and that like we could also be the missing piece if you like in some of yours too like I, I think for Angus especially like we've talked about this a lot but for him it's it's very much like I want people to understand that disabled pe- pe- people could be potential romantic partners mm. or or whatever it is and I think for me it's also about like disabled stories matter disabled stories are interesting Disabled stories don't just have to centralise disability as a plot point. Like, I would love to get to the point where representation is so nuanced that obviously a, a character's disability is a central part of who they are in terms of the fact that it, like, will define their choices or the things they value and the things they don't. But I, I would love to get to a point where the story doesn't have to be about disability specifically. Yeah. I think that's what I like best in portrayals is when it's not the central point of the film it's just that person also happens to be disabled and that's absolutely just there what would you say is your favorite I guess from what you've seen apart from latecomers um what would be the closest you've seen to a good representation of disability in a tv show or film that's a really hard question because honestly there aren't (laughs) there aren't aren't that many (laughs) that come to mind I mean you say aside from latecomers but in all seriousness probably latecomers Mm. and I and that, that is without me being involved in it. Like I, the other, the other kind of representation that I've seen recently, which I know people loved, um, was in Heartbreak High. Mm, yes. I'm yet to watch Incredible. that one, but I'm very excited. Oh, too. Steph, you have to. Oh my gosh. <laughs> it's on my list. The don't worry. Representation, the, the levels of nuance. It's brilliant. I loved it so much. Um, but yeah, there aren't, there aren't that many. Mm. um options out there that I can even think of and I think that's part of the problem yeah yeah but it's also why I feel incredibly privileged to be one of the kind of pioneers of it if you will 
Yeah, and it's important. It's so important what you're doing, but it must be very exhausting too because there's so much of it that needs to be done. It's it must feel like some days you just want to. It's like a huge battle. One step definitely, forward, definitely. It can feel like rolling a boulder up a hill and having it roll back down on top of you. I I know that um the song "Running Up That Hill" by Kate Bush has obviously been popularized in Stranger Things, but I think it's very it's a true kind of ad anthem of advocacy if if you will uh but I think I wouldn't know how to live with myself anymore if I wasn't doing it mm, something like I if, live by. if I was just sitting around waiting for other people to change the world so that I fit in that wouldn't work for me mm. so advocacy is a choice but it's also not when your existence is is political and marginalized I think doing it on the mass public scale that I am is definitely a choice and I want every disabled person listening to this or every marginalised person listening to this to know that if all you can do is advocate for yourself in your own world and in your own community, then that is more than enough. That's a really good like, message. You don't have to do it to an audience. You don't have to deal with social media. You don't have to do that. But if you can and, and if you feel like that's something you, you want to do, keeping in mind that you need like a good support system, then come join us because... While it is exhausting, it's also some of the most rewarding work I've ever done in my life. And I will be doing it until I can no longer do it anymore. I really appreciate what you do. Uh, I should also mention Missing Perspectives is the, the journal that you publish as well or newsletter. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, an incre- it's turned out to be an incredible media platform founded by Phoebe Saintelin, um for the underrepresentation and marginalization of women and girls around the world. 95% of our stories are told with like lived experience at the center so if someone's writing about period poverty it's because they've actually experienced it if someone's writing about the war in afghanistan or the situation in ukraine or climate change it's because they're on the front lines and i'm really really proud of that and i'm really proud of the way in which it has grown so quickly and in which we've managed to prove to traditional media in particular who sometimes don't unsurprisingly don't want to touch young women's stories with a 10-foot pole because all the people who make the decisions look the same, that it works Mm. and that it matters and that it has value and we can't wait for the ways in which we're going to grow as a media company. We often joke that our goal is world domination, but we're quite serious about that. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I'm very excited for future projects and I'm excited for all of the people who are going to hopefully be benefited by the work that I do and the work that I support and that's pretty pretty life-affirming to be like, oh, well, I, I have a purpose. Like, I go to bed exhausted, but I'm also energised by the things that I do and the things that I stand for or sit for. Fantastic. Last question around um, some of your adv- advocacy. What was it like being thrust into the spotlight when calling for Lizzo, Beyonce, and, of course, Eminem to remove their ableist lyrics? That was a very surreal experience and not one I expected at all because I have 100% tweeted thousands of times and never had to do that. I think it started to kind of hit me when people started getting upset, as strange as that sounds. As soon as I started attracting criticism or anger or trolling, that was when I knew that I was really making a difference because to me, that sort of behaviour, I try to take as a twisted compliment, keyword being try, because... That means I've made it outside the echo chamber of yes. people who are always really supportive and telling me I'm doing a good job. I guess that's really important as too, as, as much as yeah, it sucks as to have that feedback. As soon as someone disagrees or, ha- or has a different opinion, 
to Hannah, you're doing a good job, then I'm like, oh, well, I'm really making a difference. You're, you're challenging people. And to be fair, like, I, yeah, I had experienced it on a much smaller scale over the course of the Disney Princess campaign. There were some people who were very upset that I was trying to campaign for something and that I was being too politically correct or whatever. But yeah, this was definitely on a mass scale. And I think particularly when it came to calling out Beyonce, because obviously that was six weeks after Lizzo, wading back into that conversation, if you will, mm. was a lot more of a decision I had to kind of sit with. Whereas with Lizzo, it just sort of happened to fall that way. Like I just tweeted and then went back to what I was doing and then was like, why is my phone overheating? Why <laughs> why am I getting 50 million notifications every two seconds? Like what the heck is going on? Whereas with Beyonce, I was like, okay, calling out Beyonce and asking her to change a lyric is a much bigger step. I think it's also because Lizzo cultivates a very different public image to Beyonce. Yeah, Lizzo seems very, very approachable and very like down to earth. And not that Beyonce doesn't seem that way, but she has obviously been in the industry a lot longer mm. and very intentionally curated this like enigmatic, mysterious, mm. like I I'm only ever going to interact with the world on my terms sort of percent, yeah. which is what she deserves and that's how she protects her personal life and her family and she has every right to do that. Um, but yes, engaging her fans, who I also know are super passionate, was a very conscious decision, but I'm glad I did it. I'm glad you did too. And lastly, if you could say anything to anyone who are on that sort of bandwagon that you're, you're too politically incorrect or um, accusing you of trying to cancel quote-unquote artists, something I don't actually believe in, what would you say to them? I would say that those people live a very privileged life because they have never known the sting mm. of not fitting in for something they couldn't change. That's a really good message and I, I completely agree with that. I think accountability is very important and it's really, it doesn't matter how much of a superstar someone is, I think accountability is really necessary. So absolutely, thank you for all you do. Oh, thanks, Steph. Thank you so much for your time. This has been delightful. I could talk for like hours. That was I great. Thank you so much for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. If you really enjoy our podcast and want more, don't forget to subscribe to our Patreon. For only just $3 a month, you get access to lots of exclusive content, bonus episodes, and of course, your opinion matters more to us than those who don't subscribe. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook, and chuck us a wholesome review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Good Pods. Do it. See you later.